Little Watson Center, an independent feminist nonprofit comprehensive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Reproductive Left. I'm your host, Aspen. I use they, them pronouns. And today, as part of our winter activism series, I'll be talking about community organizing and how you can get involved in activism. I'll be interviewing my dear friend, longtime community organizer, and newly elected state representative, Maine state representative, rather, Umbreen Rana. Umbreen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Aspen. I am so glad we get to chat today. Um, Let's just get right into it. So first question, what got you into community organizing work? So I I reflect on this a lot because I had quite a non-traditional route to get to where I am today. When I was in college, I studied biology And I think typically someone that knows that they want to go into community organizing studies, the social sciences or public policy. And from when I was young, I always knew I wanted to be a community organizer. I just didn't have the words for it or understand the path to get there. And I would imagine what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to participate in the world. And I knew that I wanted to help people. And I also knew that there was injustice in the world and I wanted to work to address it. And as I reflect on this also, I I recognize that the work that I do and the work that I get paid for is not work that I want to exist Mm -hmm. because ideally we'd be living in a world where everyone's needs are met and the organizing that we're doing is obsolete. So that Mm -hmm. is the actual goal here. Um, from when I was young, I had a passion for social justice, which sparked from witnessing injustice and the effects of racism and poverty in my community and around me. Um, racism, especially just um, growing up in a community where there weren't a lot of people that looked like me um, was something that I, I grew up dealing with. Um and um i mean it makes sense that that is a thing that would spark that yeah yeah definitely definitely just something that i that that i saw as an issue and wanted to change so that others growing up in the community wouldn't wouldn't deal with the same um and community organizing is something that i learned by doing and by practicing I, I, I'm really lucky. I had really amazing mentors along the way as I was getting into this work. And um, really, as I was doing the work, I, I, um, each movement that I participated in, I, I learned more and more. Um, and I learned, I, I had people around me that taught me the importance of relationship building and different ways to take action. 
Yeah, I feel like that relationship building is huge. Something I've seen people talk about more with, you know, fighting for social change from being in movement work is how so much of what we see in media will just highlight individuals when that's not what gets things done. It is really those relationships. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's it's so important to build relationships with the folks that are directly impacted by the issue that you're working on, because they really should be the ones that are leading, le- leading the work and the mm-hmm. ones we should be taking direction from. And um, there's just so many, so, so many important aspects to relationship building, like making sure that it's not transactional, that people aren't being taken advantage of, that um, people feel valued and um, that they're really taking taking the lead. Mm. Looking back, I, I realized that my first big movement that I participated in was raising HIV awareness when I was in middle school. I remember wearing red ribbons on World AIDS Day. I remember getting a lot of funny looks. Um, And I went around to my classmates trying to talk to them about stigma. Um, And it's only fitting that my first job out of college was at an AIDS service organization where I ended up focusing on harm reduction. That is so on brand. It was really on (laughs) brand. Um, that's all to say that there there are so many ways to get involved in organizing, whether it's connecting with a coalition or or an organization that's addressing the issue you care about, or talking directly with individuals that are impacted by that issue and figuring out ways to to um, to address it. Yeah, I mean that. You have like a a long background for what got you into this, which makes sense. I mean, I feel like most people who do this work have a lot of layers into why they do community organizing. Um, Switching gears a little bit, but not totally. Uh, What was it like taking that leap into running for the legislature? What did you do to prepare for that? (laughs) Uh, The opportunity to run for office was definitely a leap. Um, And given that the deadlines to find a candidate in my district this past summer were were, just came up so fast. I had I had two weeks to make the to I I had one day to decide and two weeks to run to fill that seat. Um, So I had to make the decision very quickly Um, and and to clarify. So. my my state rep had stepped down from the race in the general election. So we had two weeks to find someone to replace that person on the ticket. So I am so grateful that I had strong people in my life encouraging me to jump into the race because I shared interest. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it because it's such a challenging thing and the competition was intense. Um, But people believed in me and I'm so grateful for that. Um, And in the caucus that was held to be on the ballot for general election, I won by just four votes. And it wasn't because of my title or my job or my age or having grown up in the neighborhood, which I hadn't. I had grown up across the river um, uh, or, or a degree or certifications or the amount of money that I make. 
Um, it was because I went out and I talked to my neighbors about the change that they wanted to see, what issues they were dealing with and how I could support them. And hearing their stories prepared me better uh, to better represent them in the state house. And it was, you know, most people have several months to prepare for a general mm-hmm. election. And I, I only had, uh, I only had about three. Um, so it was a lot of, it was a lot of hard work re- leading up to that general election. And it was a lot of the same, like building relationships with people, getting to know my neighbors um, and understanding their issues. And we succeeded. And I think that that had a lot to do with um, the community that I built around me. And um, I really, I really, it's, it's, I really appreciate the neighborhood that I live in and I'm really excited to, to serve and represent those folks. And as an organizer, before I ran for office, I had been advocating at the state house for over seven years. So as a freshman legislator, I felt like I had a leg up given my experience talking to legislators, testifying and organizing public hearings. I had spent a lot of time outside of committee rooms waiting for waiting to testify with groups of people making sure they were fed making sure that they were hydrating um and making sure all of their needs were met so that they were ready to share their stories in front of legislators um and i also had a sense of the legislative and budget process a little bit um it is, I mean, the budget process is especially complicated, but but like mm-hmm. all things, it's completely different from the other side of the podium. And um I'm I've been learning so much as I've as I've been in this position. I bet it's um I mean, so just like it's this is gonna sound weird to say that it's funny, but like it's funny in a way for me personally, that like you are a legislator now and for you to talk about, you know, having done this advocacy at the state house, um, because my first experience going to the state house to testify on a bill was with you. So that is always like, it's just kind of like for me on a personal level, it's kind of funny to think like, oh yeah, my friend who's an elected official who now, uh, or who, you know, five years ago, I went to the state house with the first time. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that was also my first time going to the state house and, and presenting testimony. And, and I'm grateful that we were able to do it together because that was a really challenging and it was a really challenging bill. And sure, um, I'm really glad that we were successful and able to ban conversion therapy in our state. Yes, it took the second try, but we got it banned. And I am very grateful that you brought us to Panera Bread after, which weirdly enough actually does bring me into the next question slash thought I had for you. So obviously, I mean, you've demonstrated this just by talking about your own experience. Um, There are a lot of ways for people to engage in activism other than just running for an elected position. You did other activism work for years. Uh, I feel like the social change ecosystem model from Deepa Iyer can be really helpful for finding your roles, especially for newer activists who often feel really overwhelmed at how much work there is to do and having that feeling of like, oh my gosh, well, I can't do everything. Um, 
for our listeners who might not be familiar, Deepa Iyer created a framework of the social change ecosystem model that includes different roles in social change movements like caregiver, storyteller, builder, etc. Um, now, my question for you is what's one or two roles you tend to hold the most often? You've already named caregiver in a way, you know, talking about making sure that people are fed and that they're taking care of themselves before they go to give testimony. But I'd love to hear more thoughts from you on that. And um, if there's like another role that really stands out to you as one that you hold. Yes, I really appreciate this. And thank you so much for recognizing the caregiver role, because I, I, I definitely feel that deeply and 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 see myself in that role. Um, I would say I also um, I feel myself as a guider. So someone that guides um, and that 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 has been the role that I've played for many years. So teaching people about the legislative process, letting them know that it doesn't have to be this like scary, hard to understand thing. I think that like a lot of the information has just been gatekeeped for a long time mm-hmm. and has been made to seem super inaccessible with this jargony language. So breaking it down so that it's easier to understand and letting people know that anyone can participate and um, that we need to create a system where where it feels like everyone can participate. Um, It is the people's house. It is, um, you know, public hearings are made so that we can share our opinions. and so I, I definitely see myself as as someone that guides um, helping people turn their stories into something that can be used to be put in front of an elected official, whether that's through public hearing testimony, a letter to the editor, mm. um, something as simple as a text to your, to your representative or senator, or um, if we're talking about a diversity of tactics like you know we, we talked about running for office we talked about public hearings you can also share your story at a rally at a protest um there are so many ways to to put pressure on decision makers um and not not one of those ways is more effective than the other it really takes all of them together to to um, make progress in a movement. Yeah, I will also say that I very much, especially having seen you speak at like rallies and protests at such, um, I also very much see you as a visionary. Uh, Also important to point out, I am a little bit obsessed with the social change ecosystem model from Ayer. I will also clarify, I am not sponsored or anything. It is just like such a cool and neat framework. I will also say that she has a new book uh, that is on my to read list called Social Change Now, a guide for reflection and connection. Um, And I'm very stoked about it. But let's pause here for Mabel's Fast Fact with Abby. About 75% of people with vaginas don't orgasm from penetrative sex alone. Learn more in our show notes or at mabelwadsworth.org. All right. 
back to questions. What community organizing or activism work that you've been a part of has made you the most proud? I'm going to make this hard for you. You are only allowed to pick one. That is really challenging to just pick one, but there is there is one that comes to mind that I'm just so excited about. Um, and it was years of effort. And I'm just so grateful that we were able to make it possible. Um, and that was fighting for dental care access for people that use main care. Um, before, before this bill passed, uh, once someone became an adult on main care, they would lose their dental care access. So all of these adults, um, over 200,000 people that were, um, that were using main care did not have access to preventative care. They didn't have access to like, like cleanings. They didn't have access to restorative care, um, like dentures or, uh, or fillings or anything like that or repairs and they didn't have access to even like be able to diagnose that care um or or the issues that they had and people were in pain intense pain they could not properly nourish themselves mm. um so we're eating soft foods and these are low-income people so um adding another barrier to being able to access food not being able to mm -hmm. um you know eat foods that are um, Tasty, that are not much or yeah, exactly. Um, and hearing stories of people that had um had infections that had gone undiagnosed for so long mm -hmm. that they led to brain infections or heart infections. It's incredibly mm -hmm. heartbreaking. Um. And these folks uh, came together and they, um, they, they were the ones that, first of all, indicated that this was, the, this was the care that they needed and this is what they wanted to fight for. They fought for several years, shared their stories, which are such vulnerable and hard stories to share because of all of the pain associated with it. Um, because of how embarrassing it can be. Um, and I, I talked about the pain. I talked about like not being able to nourish yourself, but also people's self-confidence and, and their, like their smile is, is, is the first thing that people see when they look at you. So there, there are a lot of stories about, um, uh, uh, self-worth and, mm and how, how people looked at themselves and, and how they felt um, people were looking at them. It's just yeah. so like wild mm -hmm. that, you know, dental health is not just considered part of regular health care. Like it is just so strange mm -hmm. how teeth get classed as like, luxury bones absolutely like kind of need them it is very yikes and i i did ask this question specifically with this uh work in mind because that is something that i mean i know has had such a huge positive impact on our community and you know has just been so so important and is something to be really proud of <laughs> 
Awesome. Thank you so much. And, and, and I'm honored to have the opportunity to, to talk about it. And um, again, like the work would not have been possible without those people stepping up and sharing their stories and um, and talking to legislators over and over again and making sure that the that the governor heard from them and yeah. and her hearing their stories and listening into the public hearing was actually what what moved her is is what we heard and and she put it in her budget and she made sure that that this care was covered which which was huge and um this this also goes back to that thing that i touched on which was the diversity of tactics like Mm. we didn't just do a public hearing we did a statewide petition where we gathered over two thousand signatures and delivered those signatures by hand to the governor we had press conferences with people sharing their story we had rallies we we went out to different communities across the state and looped other people in um whether that was at food pantries or educare centers or um uh, different spaces where people were to to make sure that they knew that this this was something that was being worked on and they could mm-hmm. they could join the effort and and of course like you you mentioned how um, it's frustrating that this care wasn't included in overall health and that reminds me that like the next step is like making sure vision care is comfort for mm-hmm. covered for people because there are people that. Um, because that's a huge barrier to be able to um to navigate the world. And um another thing is also just making sure that providers are accepting main care so yes. that there is not discrimination, um, so that people can actually get the care that they need now that they have the coverage. Yeah. Um I am really excited to see all of the work that you do on healthcare. Um, I'm going to pivot a little. So I am pretty predictable. So I have to mention Miriam Cobb's quote, hope is a discipline. As someone who has a long history of community organizing and activism work, how do you relate to that quote? I really appreciate you bringing this up and presenting me with this because this quote resonates for sure. Um, I think it's easy to give up hope when you're involved in the work that we participate in. It's valid to be jaded and frustrated um, because change just comes along so slowly. And we're also just witnessing across our country, so many states are regressing. I don't want to go into it because... (laughs) Because it's 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 heartbreaking and frustrating, and I don't want to go on a tangent, um, and it's extremely harmful. But it, it is so valid. It is so valid to to have those mm. to have those negative feelings um, when you're when you're in movement work. Mm. Um, and and what motivates me and gives me hope is thinking about the movements that came before us and how hard people fought to get us where we are today. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you brought up that, like those feelings of being jaded and frustrated because like, not only is it really valid, but I think that it like, 
people can be frustrated and have hope at the same time. Like, I think that mm-hmm. those can be rooted in the same place. So I'm really glad that you named that um, because I think sometimes the way these are presented is just that they are like feelings rather than, you know, something more complex than that. Cause again, Mariam Kaba's concept is definitely that it's hope is a bigger thing than just a feeling you have. It is a decision you make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's so important that you named that with frustration. Um, let's take one more break for a Mabel's fast fact with Abby. If someone living with HIV has an undetectable viral load, that means they cannot transmit HIV to another sexual partner. Learn more at MabelWadsworth.org or in our show notes. And we're back. To end our episode, what are your final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience about community organizing and activism? I would say that people power is the strongest power. Yes. And I mean, that is, I mean, that's to the point. Yeah. People power is, is huge. And I think part of why we see systems of oppression kind of downplay people power Mm -hmm. is because they recognize how strong it is. Exactly. They are trying to alienate us and separate us. And we've got to remember that there are more people on our side than we think there are and come together and and work together. That is, yeah, that is too true. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Umbreen. And thank you to our listeners for joining us as well. I will see you the next time. <laughs>